You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Martha, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Happy to be here. Cool. I'm so excited for this conversation. It's definitely unique um, in terms of our um, listening base, but I think a lot of people will get a ton of value out of it. Why don't you um, give a quick introduction of yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm Martha Weidman. I'm the CEO of Nine.Arts, and I'm excited to be here today because you all focus on the built environment, and the people who are listening to the show are the ones who are creating the spaces that we're all going to enjoy for generations. And part of the built environment is creating an experience somewhere where people want to be, immerse themselves in, creating memories and icons and things that are landmarks that you can hearken back to. And art is this incredible tool for creating an experiential place. So our company focuses on using the power of art to transform business environments. And we've worked on projects that are as large as 20,000 acre land plans and creating cultural policies that will impact that space for decades, um, all the way down to corporate office buildings, boutique hotels, and places that the public might experience on a day-to-day. So it's all about making your places attractive, memorable, and destination-worthy. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about like your story. Like, How did you get into this? Do you have a background in art history, art curation? Are you an artist yourself? Like what, where's the passion come from? So it's a great question. I am an artist myself. I am a formally trained artist. I studied art in at university and I also studied communications. And what's um, part of your art academic regimen is that you have to go through a series of art history classes. And while I appreciate those, the thing that I actually enjoy and love most is people making things. And contemporary art in the world that we work in is all about supporting artists and supporting those emerging uh, artists who you may not even know about. And I think that's the most interesting creative space because it's all real world time. What's happening right now? Who's creating it? And how do we support them? So as a graduating artist, there were very limited career options. I worked at a gallery when I first graduated from school, enjoyed a couple of years there, and then was recruited to work for an art consulting company called McGrath & Braun. They were the most highly regarded firm in the region. And I worked there for a couple of years. They then uh, sold their business, economic recession hit. There was no hiding and the people who owned it just really weren't equipped to take it through uh, that downturn. So my partner and I, ended up buying three remaining contracts from that company and helping them shut that business down, making sure all the projects were completed, getting all the artists paid, and then rebranding and starting fresh as Nine Dot Arts in 2009. So 12 years strong at this point, and I'm 
really proud to say that we've uh, made a big impact on the creative economy. And to date, we've contributed over $35 million to the creative economy through real estate uh, clients. And that's all about supporting local artists, supporting the local community, and really building character for these places. Yeah, I got to imagine that it takes a, a really kind of creative mind from the real estate developer or asset manager's perspective to even think about how art activates their spaces. Like, how do you find the right customers? Are they new developments that are being kicked off that like want to create a, a, a brand new sense of place? Are they existing buildings or owner operators who just want cool art in their lobby? Like what, what is your target customer? Like, how do you find them? What makes them interested in, in what you do? Well, first, it's not for everyone, right? Some people yep. are just going to put out a kind of a cookie cutter response and they're going to mimic that in each place that they go. And there's there may not be any unique or special qualities about it. But really savvy developers, especially people who are trying to tap into a competitive market, are trying to find ways to differentiate their property. And art is this incredible underutilized tool. And in many cases, the tenants are coming to expect some sort of interest and some sort of engaging uh, involvement from their property. So we find that the best clients for us are the ones who are trying to break into a new market or give back to the community in an existing market that they're working in, people who are developing class A properties, mixed use, um, boutique hotel, boutique hospitality is really popular, and multifamily, year to date, multifamily is 37% of our revenue. It's been a huge increase in multifamily this year because commercial lending has been supporting growth in multifamily, and so we're seeing uh, the tailwinds of that on our side. And that's really because the multifamily space is so competitive, right? People want to, how are you going to remember which you, you might be touring a dozen properties on a certain day, which one are you yeah. going to remember? Are Especially going, now, since they all kind of like look the same, right? Like, right. It, you know, you go into any major city and like all the new development is kind of the same glass tower or the same prefab exterior and probably the same layout, maybe even the same finishes yep. uh, in the apartments themselves. So you're right. It's, it's, there's got to be that kind of immediate connection, right? It's people who are looking for a unique brand experience. So we just published our state-of-the-art report. We surveyed 200 people from the commercial real estate sector and uh, almost 100% of the respondents said that what is critical to the success of their project is to have a unique, non-cookie cutter, creative brand experience. That's what's going to set them apart, which will ultimately, you know, create a long-term ROI effect that might be anything from a shorter approval cycle with the city because they see that you're contributing to the community to um, faster lease-ups when the buildings open because people will recognize and remember those places. So you're developing a social capital that uh, will actually become you know, quantifiable 
when you're going in front of city trying to get things approved and when you're going to lease those buildings. Yeah. Do you see developers dedicating actual space um, for kind of like art or galleries or is it within the kind of envelope that's already kind of created in a property that they're looking for that um, kind of uniqueness? So um, that's a great question. We work in a number of different spaces. So we can work in the spaces in between buildings. So we'll work on, you know, streetscape installations. Uh, we did an installation called the Blue Trees where we colored 200 trees electric blue in a downtown district to allow people to see where that district was located, bring visibility and attention. It was with their brand colors and the artist who created it was trying to raise awareness about urban deforestation. We had blues music outside. We had Japanese forest bathing inspired events where you could do meditation Mondays and meditate in the trees. Uh, so there's just, you know, there's an incredible opportunity in the spaces in between buildings to transition a journey from one building to the next. So that's on more of a, a land plan perspective. And then on the interiors of a space, you know, you're looking at sometimes really large vacuous spaces and you need elements that will create areas that are more intimate and that might slow you down to spend more time. Let's say it's a retail oriented space. You want to slow people down, Maybe they'll do some shopping. Maybe they'll grab a drink, right. visit a restaurant. You want to make a place that's comfortable where people want to stay and bring their friends. And so art is this incredible tool to create these experiences and really influence behavior and, and influence behavior in a positive way that's also this positive give back to the local creative economy. Yeah. So. And, and also within that building envelope, you asked a particular question about establishing art spaces. And there have been a number of projects we've worked on recently, and these are more cutting edge, where we've established um, like nonprofit art centers within a condominium building, for example. We did one where there's at the Colorado, there are 334 condo units. And at the sale of each of those 334 units, a 0.05% transfer fee is applied. And that transfer fee goes to fund a 501c3. It's an art and culture space, a mini museum called Union Hall. And we built out the model for this space, Union Hall. So it's the concept of a transfer fee, which is something that's been used in real estate for ages, but just taking that and applying it to art and culture. And then you create this now kind of self-sustaining uh, neighborhood asset. And so then the people who live there come down, they get to see the shows, there's poetry readings. We have events where we pair the visual art on display with music and food, it's called Sonic Palette. Um, you know, we'll have fashion shows. We've had all kinds of cultural events in that space. And that's just a great, it's a great boon for the people who live there and the surrounding community gives them an opportunity to come in and experience art and culture in what was formerly kind of a, a desert of a space like that. So we did an analysis of different neighborhoods and found it was a real need. Cool. That's interesting because you think that would be more common, right? Like how do you combat like the changing of kind of the trading of hands of buildings? So if an owner sells and it's not a priority for them, but there's this 
art installation or obviously a contract with you guys to kind of keep it fresh and everything is is there a do you see like a world where there's only like one subset of developer or that really cares about this because I, I you know it would be a shame obviously to create something like that and then have the building trade hands or something like that and then it goes away so that building has traded once and it's still active because the people who bought it were really invested in the concept and yep. then what we learned from that experiment is we were then uh, brought on as advisors to do something very similar in the central district in seattle and for that property at midtown we took a different approach because we were thinking of that same thing when that building traded that was a huge risk point and right. so we thought, how are we going to create more safety around these cultural spaces? I mean, when there's cultural spaces, the buildings become more valuable. And the way that we handled that is we worked with some really open-minded, amazing developers at Lake Union Partners, and they condom condominiumized the building so that the art and culture space could buy their site. So cool. now they are going to own their space. And so now that, that cultural space, which is a black art and culture uh, museum and event space within what was typically a historically redlined district is there in perpetuity. So we're looking to build this multi-generational impact by creating ownership opportunity. That's awesome. So let's talk about the artists for a second. How do you find them? And do you have like direct relationships with them? And that's the first question. The second is how much discretion does the actual owner have with what goes in their property? Are, are you proposing things that get shut down all the time? Do you have anybody who's particularly interested in a certain aspect of art, whether it's sculpture or painting or, or a, a certain subject that they'd like to see in their properties? So I'll, uh, first question I'll tackle is how do you find artists? And this perhaps is the easiest part of our job uh, because we've been living in this world for so long. So when you go to art school, it's kind of like going to business school or like real estate school, you know, you just you know all your friends, know all yeah. your friends and all of your friends <laughs> are artists. And so it and then they introduce you to other artists. And what happened when we first started Nine Dot was that there were so many artists coming to us because one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that the commercial real estate sector is a huge influencer and, and a huge buyer in the art world, right? So they can have a major impact. So we had artists coming to us because we were their way to get into this new market space. And when we started the company, we, we inherited uh, projector reams full you know if you remember the slides and you used to put the little projector oh, yeah. slides in the carousel thing and we we inherited yeah. just you know mountains of carousel trays and loops so you could look at artist slides because our industry also is very old school so we basically converted all of that data into an online app called dotfolio and our app is where artists can apply to be a part of our database. They can connect directly with our curatorial team. And now that app, we work with over 10,000 artists 
uh, from 14 different countries. So it's really expansive. And we haven't even found the, the edge. In the United States, nearly 2 million Americans identify as artists. So artists are everywhere. It's just a matter of being discerning and finding the right match for that particular brand. Uh, I will say that there have definitely been many projects where a developer was trying to do this and because they know an artist or have heard of someone, they'd hire an artist to create something. And you really have to be a, like a, a guide and a mentor for artists and match value systems to the value systems of the brand, right? You're not just doing a surface level. I know this artist and they made something pink and I want something pink. You're looking for value systems. Like, yeah. are they innovative, inspirational, and, ex you know, are they explorers? And does that match this brand type that's more uh, all around exploration and technology? So you're looking to match those brand ideals with the artist and the, the project. So uh, did that answer your first question? Like, how do we find people and then how do we pair? Yeah. Yeah, that was the answer I was looking for because I'm thinking if I'm like an artist who's looking to gain exposure to my work, you want to try to expose it to as many people as possible in the commercial real estate space is such a large asset class that you're going to get eyeballs on, on what you're looking for. I, I guess maybe like a one level deeper, I'm just curious, are there artists who don't want their art to be hung in the middle of an office building lobby because that's like not the look they want to go for. And if that's the case, are they like disqualified from, you know, kind of like, like the work that you do? Um, I'm just curious about that. Well, uh, a rule of thumb is we say you never say never because the minute you think that something is off limits, uh, you know, that'll be the minute that you find a home yeah. for it. Uh, nudity you might think would be off limits but not in not in not in certain like bars and hotels it's actually provocative yep. right so not everything is off limits uh we've definitely had struggles with some of the work that we've placed that's political you know anything that's political can be especially now yeah especially right now any political style art can be tricky and it's just a matter of how you own that conversation. How do the people who are in the building explain it and talk about it every day? So those I would say are the most challenging, but again, it's all about the context of where you are. The art piece that works in one office building in Detroit is gonna be completely different from the one that works in LA. So I think you really have to be contextual in the approach and, to clarify, almost all of the work that we show are permanent placements that are commissioned specifically for that site. So, Got it. you know, they'll be there. The owners are invested and it's a multi-month process that we'll go through to select the artist and then commission the art piece for those temporary activations, those spaces that we were talking about, those are going to yeah. be on a rotation. And those artists get paid a stipend. So one thing that's really important to us is that the artists are always getting paid for their work. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, do you have any like success stories of a piece being put in a property and it then being noticed by like 
somebody who's an art enthusiast and says, you know what, I want to buy that, or I love that artist. And how do I find that person and like look up their work and forget about like you guys making a cut or anything on that. It seems like that's an awesome way for an artist to get recognized. Do you, does that happen a lot? Yes. It's a, it's a career changing move when we can do a placement, especially for an emerging artist. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I had an artist come in and tell us that we put him in a different tax bracket this year. <laughs> so that was a great feeling. He was pretty, he was excited about it. And, you know, I think of some stories like Sandra Fettingus. She was working at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Denver and the largest mural she had created to date was about nine feet wide. And she worked, you know, at the front desk. And then we hired her to do a massive scale public commission that was 140 feet long. And we knew she could do it, right? What we can do because we're in the private sector is we can take more risk, but it's calculated risk. So we interview the artists, we look at their designs, we test their fabrication, we go through a feasibility study. And if, if their feasibility passes, we can take the risk on coaching someone who's up and coming. And now that Sandra has completed that 140 foot mural, it was on the Huffington Post as one of the top 10 coolest street art pieces in the world. And then she got public commission after public commission. She's all over the US and uh, you can never buy that mural for what we bought it for yeah. at the time. So it's really been a career changer. And there's a number of stories like that. We have artists who, you know, we're working day jobs and then get a big commission and they no longer, you know, have to have a side hustle. They can be full-time artists. Yeah, that's amazing. You're in a sense, uh, like a, a two-sided platform. Like you have yeah. the, like, I guess, for lack of a better term, the gig workers, the artists and yeah. the people that are looking to be connected with their work. I didn't let you answer my second question, which is like, are there any owners out there that you've worked with that have like proclivities in, in terms of what they want and what they like? How much kind of, you know, bandwidth do you give them in terms of selection? Well, you want people to be invested in the idea, right? So you want everyone to have um, a stake. You want everyone to participate in the selection process. But the rule of thumb that we always give is a third, a third, a third, because we're generally picking a collection that's gonna have multiple works and multiple artists. So a third of the pieces you should absolutely love. Like you're gonna leave that meeting and tell the, your friends or your family about it because it was so moving and it's so cool and you're so excited about it. There's a third that you're gonna think are pretty good. You like them being there. And there's gonna be a third that you truly dislike. <laughs> and that third that you truly dislike is gonna be someone else's third that's their favorite and the right. key like the key to some of this is having people talk about it if it was all the same and it was all right middle of the road appeal to everyone then that's nothing to really talk about that's nothing to write home about you want some things that test the boundaries on either side yeah that makes a ton of sense beauty is in the eye of the beholder mm -hmm. at the end of the day right yeah. um that's my only art line that I, that I know. Um, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, how do you uh, combat what's going on right now in terms of people not being in offices or going, traveling as much and being in hotels? I know it's kind of a played out question, but like how has COVID impacted your business? How, how do you look about the future in terms of hybrid work where 
there might not be as many bodies coming through office buildings as there used to be. Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, first, how has COVID impacted our business? So initially, at the very beginning, uh, our early stage projects went on hold. So anything where we were still, you know, things were hadn't been, uh, we hadn't broken ground or things hadn't gone into construction, a lot of those deals went on hold. Yeah. And then a lot of the projects that, were, that we were working on were still in construction because our, our deals usually take, you know, one to four years to build. So those deals that were already underway, actually this weird thing happened when they would say, can you go faster? Because everyone was trying to beat the return when everything yeah. was going to open up again. So then we were trying to actually go more quickly to open buildings up. So it's been this uh, mixed bag of approach based on different industry, multifamily business started coming in left and right because commercial lending was saying, if you're building apartments, we'll fund you. So we had this yep. big influx of multifamily work come our way, which we're very grateful for. A lot of hospitality went on hold. And what's interesting is that now, even this week, those deals are now starting to come back. Cool. So I think the important thing when I think about office space in particular and hospitality is what are we coming back to? We're coming back to a different place. We're coming back to a different world. And I think we appreciate different aspects than we used to. I think I agree. We, right. Don't yeah, we all appreciate started, in-person meetings now? Well, yeah, not only that, but it's weird because being away from my office for almost two years, you come back and it's kind of boring that it's the same old thing. You know, right. like I'm in, I'm in a class B office building in Boston that seems like it hasn't been updated in like 50 years. So if I'm going to come to the office every day, like, do I just want to come back to a world that seems like drudgery, right? Like there'd be, it, it would just make it feel a little bit more um, exciting to go into a public space or go into an office when there was some freshness, something new, something to think about, something new to look at, or or even just like better amenities or something like that, where public spaces could be rethought so that it provokes a little bit more curiosity and like exploration rather than I got to go to the office. We did a renovation in our office. We're in a, a warehouse conversion uh, property in the low high neighborhood. We've got an office in Denver and an office in Seattle. And we did have a renovation on our office here because we wanted to give people something exciting to see. We wanted to encourage our staff to come back. So just like you're saying, what are the reasons people are going to come back? You want to create environments that are going to be collaborative because that's the thing that we've been missing. Uh, places that are you know, social places that are creative because we've all been in the same space for so long. We actually need our brains to start expanding again. And to do that, you know, you can really build environments that cater towards that social interaction and unlocking those creative pathways. Totally. You mentioned me before we started recording that you do some work in like the corporate space or the retail space. Sounds like most of your business is geared towards the developer, the boutique hotel operator. Um, but I, I imagine going down to pulling that thread a little bit in, in terms of office experience. Are there particular companies that care about this more than others? You would think that big companies trying to lure their employees back to the office might invest in something like art, um, mm -hmm. not just ping pong tables and like 
keg beer and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had great success with uh, a number of large scale office projects. One that we're working for is Denver Water, and they're just building a huge new campus with hundreds of employees waiting to come back. We've got outdoor sculptures going in, some cool interior installations. We've been working on a research facility uh, that's for the Colorado State University SPUR system. And that one's got some major public art installations that are there to advance your ways of thinking and, and show this space as an icon for international research and food, water, and animal health. So even research-based kind of scientific spaces and spaces that are you know more traditional office are looking for ways to, to make the space feel attractive and interesting. We use, I mean, our space, you can imagine, is art-filled. And when we're recruiting and hiring, one of the things that we do is have people to our office for an in-person interview because it helps to seal the deal. You want to see this physical manifestation of a brand that you believe in. And I think that's the most important thing that an office can do is to bring their brand to life through a cool experience. Yeah, totally. So what are the what are the recent trends like in the art world, if you're confining it to kind of like the corporate space, are there certain topics that are, are being brought into this space a little bit more than others? Are there certain media that are more attractive to owner operators than others? There are two. So in our state of the art report that you can download and take a look at, there are two top trends that people are really excited about. One is just big art. Big art is in big demand. And I think there's a few reasons for it. One is that viewing distance and social distance go hand in hand. So you can see a really large high impact art piece in a lobby on the side of a building. And seeing that from a distance creates this landmark effect. And you also don't have to be right up next to someone to see it and create an impact. Uh, also, you know, big art can be a way to see something from even miles away. We have one uh, property that we're working on that's a mile from the interstate and we're doing a large scale mural on the exterior so that you know which building it is as you're driving by on the highway. And then on the interior side, again, larger scale installations, but sculpture. So I think back, uh, you know, in the... 70s, 80s, we saw a lot of law firms collecting prints and those prints were in a pretty standard set frame and all of that has become a bit outdated. So to show fresh new ideas, people are going for sculptural installations because those are easily understood as made by hand, made by an artist, and people are more intrigued by things that have more texture or more hand-created aspects to them. So sculpture and big art. Cool. Soon, soon it'll be big sculpture, like huge, massive <laughs> just, sculptures. Just huge, <laughs> massive sculptures, right? Like big installation things, things people can walk through and play with. I don't know if you've been to or heard of the Meow Wolf uh, exhibit. No. The, the Meow Wolf exhibit is this kind of immersive art experience. And it is a ticketed museum-esque uh, space that you go through, but it's been incredibly popular. And so we're seeing that really influencing commercial office space design. 
Where is that? There are three. There's one in Las Vegas, there's one in Denver, and there's one in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, and there are a couple more on the horizon. I'm not sure they've publicly announced where they're going, but there should be a couple more coming out in the next year or so. I'll have to check that out. Awesome. So what's what's next for Nine Dot? Are you guys expanding? Do you have a world domination plan? Are you looking at going into new markets? Tell us a little bit about how, how you see your business growing over the next couple of years. So our expansion is a geographic play. We uh, have done really well in the Mountain West region. That still is the dominant region for most of our business. We opened a Seattle office and that uh, we closed on that property in May. And so we've had a lot of success on the West Coast. So we're expanding their West Coast. And then our next target is Southeast. So we've got a bunch of staff and have some really talented people in the Nashville, Charlotte, Atlanta region. And so that little triangle is going to be our next big play. So we're working on a national expansion within our target markets. Nice. Do you see that there, um, there's regional differences in taste? Oh, there, there are. There are. And a lot of times it focuses on what are the regional talents, right? So not only right. taste, but the regional talent. So in uh, on the West Coast, in the Pacific Northwest, there's an amazing glass blowing community. So we see a lot of people who love glass, who maybe collect glass personally, and then are appreciative of larger scale glass installations in their buildings. Um, there's also a big tech orientation. So uh, cool interactive digital media, things that use AI or non-repeating algorithms to create large-scale projected uh, patterns on the wall or video works. So some great regional works there in, in digital and in glass. And then in the Southeast, uh, a really strong population of ceramic artists. So you see some great ceramics coming out of North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, and then music themed artworks because a lot of the musicians are also artists. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Well, Martha, this has been a pleasure speaking to you about this. Is there anything else you want our uh, listeners to know or want to share with us? Uh, well, definitely, if you're interested in learning more, check out our state of the art report. It was just published a couple weeks ago on our website, 9.arts.com. So take a look. You can download the report there. And it's all about how to create experiences in the built environment. So I hope you enjoy it. Awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. And also, I should mention, too, we just launched our podcast on Sunday as well. So we have our own podcast called Dot, Dot, Dot the Nine Dot Arts podcast. And that's where we start to bring some of these ideas from the data found in our state of the art report to life. So you can hear more real world stories from developers there. And that comes out what you said every Sunday? Um, it comes out every other Sunday. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to check that out and just would love to stay in touch as, as we continue our, to grow our business and hear more about you guys. Maybe we can do another one of these next year. Love it. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Matt. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Martha. Bye. Bye.